We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Big Screen Sports is presented by MyBookie.ag. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, or perhaps bet on some postseason baseball and place a World Series wager on my beloved Minnesota Twins, make sure you're betting with MyBookie. Did you know that you can bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, and your team doesn't have a Shane Falco showing up at halftime, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season and postseason baseball is the best time of the year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag and start winning your bets today. Sorry, Shane. Sorry, everybody. No problem, Jumbo. Just make sure you rip someone's head off on this one. Consider it done. All right. So besides me, who really wants the ball? Yeah, you want it, Brian. Let's hook up. DC left, Y motion, 88 warrior. Gentlemen. It's been an honor to share the field of battle with you. It's on one on one. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the podcast breaking down the on-field action of your favorite sports movies. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. My guest today is Richard Johnson. He's a writer for Banner Society, Vox Media's new college football site. They're doing some awesome stuff over there. I encourage you to give him a follow and sign up for their newsletter. I'll link his info in the show notes. Richard joined me to talk about The Replacements, a movie with a staggering 53 minutes of actual on-field football action, so we had a ton to talk about. Just in case you skipped last week's episode on Harry Potter, I want to announce again that Big Screen Sports is now part of the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Head over to bluewirepods.com to check out the wide variety of the sports pods on the network. I'm sure we're going to have some other Blue Wire hosts guesting on this podcast really soon. If you've been enjoying Big Screen Sports and you haven't yet left a rating or review, I'd like to encourage you to please take a moment and go do that on whatever podcast app you're using. And while you're at it, make sure you're subscribed. 
You'll get new big screen sports episodes every Thursday, and you can check out past episodes to see if we've covered any of your favorites. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at big underscore screen sport for sports movie content and upcoming episode details. In the next few weeks, we're covering semi-pro, we are Marshall, and finally tackling Mighty Ducks. With that, it's time to talk Shane Falco, the Washington Senators, and their replacements with guest Richard Johnson. All right, my guest today, he's a writer for Banner Society, and you can hear him frequently on Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, Richard Johnson. Richard, thank you so much for joining me to talk to the replacements. What's happening? You know, there's plenty of uh, plenty of real football going on this weekend, finally. Um, but let's talk about some fictional football. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, before we get going, though, uh, for listeners who might not be familiar, can you key me into what you guys are doing at the uh, just-launched Banner Society? Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, a lot of us have worked at SB Nation College Football. We're working at SB Nation College Football either currently or, or in the past. Um, and basically what we're doing at Banner Society is taking a lot of the things that we did well at SB Nation College Football and with SB Nation College Football, we are staying within Vox Media. Um, but we, we kind of did a rebrand. And, you know, I think a rebrand, um, you know, not to get too marketing speaky with it, but a rebrand frees you up to do some different stuff uh, when you have some editorial in it editorial independence um it frees you up to do some stuff uh, in a little bit of different ways like we would love to do some live podcasts um you know when you're part of SB Nation you kind of have to go through just some red tape and some official stuff to try to get that going but now we can kind of spin something up on our own so we can be a little bit more nimble with some of our editorial decisions and, and some of the things that we want to do um obviously we're still accountable to Fox Media and you know we still are accountable to, to that senior management and stuff like that. But more than anything, it's kind of like a community-driven experiment um, with sports coverage. And SB Nation started around communities 10 years ago, and, and it still obviously has all of those team block communities that are still around for whatever team that you follow. Um, but we're, we're kind of getting back to the soul of it with, with the coverage of the sport at a national level. So it's early days. You know, we haven't even done a full football season yet. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try some stuff here and there. A lot of it's going to work. Some of it won't. And we're going to have some fun doing it. Well, you guys have mentioned uh, in your writing and on your podcast that college football is a sport that, that, you know, is meant to be enjoyed together and enjoyed at a community. So I think you guys are doing a great job of that. Uh, if you haven't yet, go sign up for their newsletter. It's something I look forward to, um, you know, every time it comes out. But uh, we're not talking about college football today. We're talking about fictional pro football. We're talking about The Replacements. The Replacements is a 2000 sports comedy. During a strike, an owner finds a new coach and replacement players. We're going to finish the season anyway. We're going to use replacement players. They've all played football somewhere. Not all of them in the pros. But they all have something unique to bring to the game. Hey, Scab! I don't want trouble. One, two, three! Thanks, guys. Hey, Falco, you're not even a has-been. You're a never-was. I'm going to take those people and try to put together a winning team. Nothing else. They should be fun to watch. Got 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. Grossed $50 million worldwide. Most of that was stateside. Starred Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman, and Brooke Langdon. Keanu followed up The Matrix with this movie. which is really? kind of, which is Which is kind of surprising. That is wild. I did not know that. 
I mean, I didn't, I didn't do the deep dive, and I, I don't know what if he had agreed to this before the Matrix came out or you know, before they knew how big it was going to be. But, but it's crazy. He is Keanu has quite the run for a guy who gets kind of the kind of build as a super generic dude and kind of emotionless dude at times. I think he has he goes he has a bunch of unique iconic characters in a ten year span. Uh, he goes Ted from Bill and Ted, Johnny Utah, uh, Don John in Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing, uh, Jack from Speed, Neo, and Falco, all in ten years. Yeah, I uh, my favorite Keanu Reeves. I so I am not up on the John Wick, the the Wickiverse, as they say. Oh man! Um, so I I know I need to get into it. I have yet to get into it. Um, but I am a big hardball fan. I love hardball. Um, it's like literally like one of my other like favorite sports movies, um, where he is like a destitute, uh, like youth baseball coach, um, who like gets in, in a bad way, um, with gamblers. So I really like hardball, but yeah, Keanu, Keanu's got more range than you give him credit for. Yeah, he, he really does. And we'll have to have you back on when we cover hardball. It's kind of hardball is basically like the baseball Mighty Ducks, at least, at least Mighty Ducks won in a lot of ways. Um, basically just kind of kind of steals that Mighty Ducks plot of, of coaches in some shit and he needs to, to coach a team to get out of it. Yeah, I have, I have not seen that movie in so long, but uh, still RIPG, baby, man. That one RIPG, it, it, this one, it, it's always hurt. But uh, yeah, the, I think Replacements was, I think, I, I think a year before Hardball, year two before uh, before Hardball came out, and the the timing of the replacements is important in this movie because it's right before movies, especially kind of romantic comedies, stop using songs with lyrics as the background music, especially in like romantic scenes. I think I think later when it, you get into the the early aughts and stuff, it starts transitioning into just into no lyrics, and in this movie. Every almost every song in the background has lyrics, and I think think the movie kind of suffers for it in a lot of ways. It set, it does set the tone. There is, I mean, we'll get to it, but there is one song from this movie that is an absolute classic that I deeply enjoy. The fact that it has music too, but we will, I I imagine we will get to it. There is a ton of good disco. As a as a University of Florida gra- uh, graduate, let us not overlook Keanu's turn in The Devil's Advocate with uh with al pacino where um the beginning of that movie it's like the first like 15 or 20 minutes actually ha- like is literally in gainesville florida um and uh, like keanu is like a defense attorney in gainesville um and then obviously it it, it evolves from there and they end up in like new york or, or something like that but there's like this scene like halfway through the movie where Keanu like does this like southern accent and he goes, I ain't going back to Gainesville. And it's hilarious. Um, so, so do you think there's a sequel? Do you think there's a sequel out there to uh Devil's Advocate where Keanu comes back to Gainesville and he's he's Urban Meyer's go to guy with those teams? Uh, yeah, he's Huntley Johnson. Huntley Johnson is the, the fixer attorney in Gainesville for the football players when they get into some shit. It it yes, it would be much better as Keanu Reeves. That is a, a very apt sequel. Well, let's get into the replacements. I want to open up. Uh, normally, I start out asking my guests, you know, is this a Hall of Fame, an all-star starter, or a bench warmer? But I want to start with uh, getting this from all my guests. What makes a good sports movie for you? Just a quick summation. I'm like, so I'm a bad person to ask this because I 
don't really like love sports movies in general. Like I like I think when you work in sports to an extent, you kind of have to pick and choose how much, especially when you work in one sport, you have to kind of pick and choose how much other sports you consume outside of that. Um, so I actually, um, I don't watch a ton of sports movies, but I have the ones that I watch and that I love like this. We talk about hardball D2 mighty ducks classic. Um, remember the Titans, obviously. Um, I like radio radio is like, just like a really sweet and like nice and kind movie that I really like a lot. Um, any given Sunday, like they're, they're, you know, the classics from my youth that I like grow up with and, and still like watching. But for the most part, like contemporary sports movies in the last like five or six years, I'm not really the guy there. Um, but with that being said, I think the replacement is the replacement is interesting because the football action is like much like any given Sunday, the football action is like real enough. And you can tell because of the decision that they made to like show as much of it as they did, that they like didn't cut too, too many corners with movie magic because of that. And like, that is usually my qualm with sports movies. It's either that, or it's like way too like melodramatic and like sappy. It's either one of those two things usually throw me off about sports movies. I'll say that the replacements nails, the replacements does not try to, well, it does, besides Gene Hackman, the replacements does not try to be too serious. Um, and the, the football action is, is good enough, especially for the year 2000. Yeah, well, considering football movies in general, I mean, I've, as far as the actual on-field action, just how things look, the athletes they got, I think it's as close to top tier in terms of football movies as there are. I We talked before uh, before we started recording I did the math on this. There's 53 minutes of on-field action, either practice or the games. That's 45% of the movie. That is a huge chunk. I wish I'd been doing this ratio for past movies because I think a lot of movies are not even close to that 45-50% mark. So they really give you a ton of action in this one. So that being said, for you, is this a Hall of Famer, an all-star, starter, or a bench warmer? I love this movie. It's Hall of Fame. I I love the replacements. I really do. It's like one of those movies that like, and I think you referenced it when we were first like talking about it. Um, it's the kind of thing where it's like always on TNT, like every four days. Oh yeah. Um, and I like, remember that. I remember it always being on TNT. Like my, the best friend that I, that I grew up with and we used to like play each other's houses when we were kids and stuff. Like we watched it one time, like on VHS, I think. Um, no, we watched it on HBO. Her parents had HBO. And we saw it on HBO and then, you know, years later, obviously it started coming on like cable TV and it would just always be on. And like the replacements is a movie that I'll finish. Like if it's on and I catch it like midway through a commercial for something else or whatever, like I will finish the replacement. It's a very rewatchable sports movie extremely because it's not too serious. There's nothing in this movie that's going to break your heart. It's really fun. The whole movie is really fun, really entertaining. Uh, it's probably an all-star for me because Hall of Fame, it's not in my top tier, but again, I love it. Again, like you said, when it's on, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to watch it. Like my fiance can attest to that. She always, did you just turn that football movie on again? It's because it's, it's always on. Uh, a couple things of note that are kind of fun about this movie. So Shane Falco, they said played in a 96 Sugar Bowl and or 95 Sugar, whenever uh, that the Sugar Bowl for Ohio State. 
Had he been a senior that year, he would have been teammates with Eddie George and Terry Glenn. And as a freshman, he would have been teammates with Kirk Herbstreet, which is a fun that dynamic to think about. Funny. You know the other thing, and it's it's a little bit of, I guess it's movie magic, but it's kind of getting around something. There was technically no 1996 Sugar Bowl. Because I looked it up. There was the 1995 season's Sugar Bowl, which would have been like January 3rd, 1996 or whatever. That was actually in 1995. It was New Year's Eve. And then the 1996 season's Sugar Bowl, which Florida won, and Florida won the national championship because of it, was like January 2nd, 1997. So 1996, technically, the calendar year of 96 did not have a Sugar Bowl. So they kind of finessed that a little bit with the the 1996-ish thing. Um, But also, Ohio State losing that bowl game by 40 points, which is what they say, would have been insane because that Ohio State team was like really good. The, the I mean, actual Eddie Ohio George State is team, probably going to be a Hall of Famer. So. Yeah, the, the, the actual Ohio State team that, that Shane Falco would have been on as a junior in 95, I guess, or, or maybe a senior in 95, uh, the 95 team was like 11-2 or 11-3. And, um, and the 96 team honestly should have gone to the national championship and basically didn't win the national championship because it lost in the Rose Bowl. Well, let's not forget that uh, my beloved Virginia Tech Hokies won the 1995 Sugar Bowl. That just that's oh, something okay. that needs to be said. <laughs> yes, let's not let's not let not let that be overlooked. A little bit of Beamer Bowl. Let's put some respect on the Hokies' name. Uh, last opening question: Should the Washington professional football team go ahead and change their name to the Senators? Yeah, I like it's everybody does the like. Washington Senators or like Washington like Eagles, but I had ne- I never really heard or thought of you know Sentinels as a concept. And like I don't know, I I think it's pretty cool. I think they should get behind it. I think if they're ever gonna gonna make the switch that a lot of people want, I I I think that'd be the move. Yeah, because um, yeah. there's kind of that base for it. Everyone, oh, it's the team from the replacements. Let's get into some quick IMDb trivia. All right, I say quick. There's a lot from this movie that's kind of notable. Um. The first thing on IMDb trivia says during filming, Keanu was offered a tryout with the Ravens, which I was looking for a, I went searching for a bigger story on that, could not find it. No way. Yeah, I, I went looking for it, but it's on the IMDb trivia. I don't know if IMDb works like Wikipedia, but it's on there. So, so don't shoot the messenger. Well, um, I guess the Ravens yeah. were really, well, I guess this would have been, 1996 was like like when they were like spinning the franchise up, right? Yeah, well, this one is in 2000, so this this came oh, out the year right, before they right, won the right. Super Bowl. You're right, you're right. I'm <laughs> thinking Falco time. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Falco's from Ohio State and Point Break, Johnny Utah, always from Ohio State. Uh, the film set was in D.C., but um, the football scenes were filmed in the Ravens Stadium. It's loosely based on the 1987 replacement Washington Redskins, who won all three of their replacement games. Uh, it's kind of the the whole scab that that whole kind of thing is what they base the movie on. Um, th- this one's this one's not great. A bit of foreshadowing. The guy who played Earl Wilkinson, aka Ray Smith, aka the guy who got out of prison, was played by Michael Jace, who is currently in prison for 40 years, convicted of second degree murder, killing his wife. What? Not great, great, folks. Sheesh. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but on on cooler note, for this for the purpose of this podcast, we we like to commend movies that get the the on field action right. Mark Robert Ellis and Alan Graff, who play the San Diego head coach and Dallas head coach, served as the football coordinators, designing plays, teaching proper techniques, and running a full three week camp. Uh, this allowed the actors to perform almost all their football stunts, which I think always helps a movie if if they get athletes, they get a, guys who look like athletes. So you know, bravo to uh, bravo to that. Yeah, they do. Like they, you know, they move around. Like it's even uh, like Orlando Jones. It's funny because he like he's Clifford Franklin in the movie, and like his like receiver, you know, motions and like the way he kind of like runs routes and like that kind of stuff, like it like does check out like it, it really does. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in this movie that, that makes you go, Oh my God, that's awful. Like there's some stuff that's a little, you know, hokey or whatever, but there's the football is believable enough and fun enough that it lets you roll with the movie and enjoy it. The last bit of IMDb trivia. It's the film debut of David Denman, who would then go on to be known as Roy, the cuck from the office. I yes, when I when I googled this, that I was like, I reckon it was, I recognize that guy from somewhere. I really recognize that some the guy from somewhere, and um, it, yeah, I, I figured out who's Roy. And also, I have, I guess, I have my own bit of uh, of trivia for you, IMDb trivia, because I found it out last night on IMDb. Um, do you have you ever watched The Wire? So it's my deepest shame you've exposed me on this podcast that I have not watched The Wire. It's on like my bucket list. But no, I have not watched The Wire. All right. Okay. You have to watch The Wire during the off season when you have some time. My only Wire advice is uh, push through the second season. The second season can get a little eh sometimes. Push through the second season. You'll be rewarded later. But to go back to it, for those of of your listeners who have watched The Wire, um, uh, Valchek. Stan Valchek is a referee in the replacements. He, uh, he's one of the referees. He like makes a, a, a you know a penalty call um, during one of the scenes, and I was like, I absolutely know who that is, um, and looked it up. Yeah, I think his real name is Al Brown, but yeah, he's in he's in the replacements and he's in the wire. So he's got an outside chance for the Lenny Harris uh, Best Supporting Character Award then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into favorite scene. I'll list off a few of my favorites. You let me know if there's anything I missed and what yours is. Uh, the first practice and kind of the character intros, they kind of all run conducively where they're, you know, he's, he's talking about the character. Gene Hackman's talking about the character's backstories, that thing. Uh, the first game, the brawl, the subsequent brawl that then turns into the jail, the jailhouse dancing scene. Uh, the shooting of Martell's car when the, the guards come to, to help Shane. The second game, uh, and then the final game. There Shane showing up at halftime all the way into the uh, the final game, the final play. Yeah, I, I love that the. I, I just think it's a very, like they did the the Shane Falco redemptive moment in like a very interesting way by like bringing him in at halftime like off the boat. I just I just thought that was really cool. Bobby um, Boucher vibes. Yes, um, but I like it starts and ends with the jailhouse scene. I mean, the jailhouse, the jailhouse electric slide is an absolute classic. And then the fact that they bring it back around when they win the game at the end and they like do it in the end zone. Like, yeah, man, I'm out here like electric sliding in my living room. So a little bit, I will survive. It is absolutely classic moment in cinema. I've said it before that a, a barroom brawl will really bring a team together. Uh, It's used as a tool in a couple movies. It's used in necessary roughness uh, to less effect than this movie. 
but uh, but this one crushes it. Let's take a quick break. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors, and then we will get back to the most authentic and the least authentic parts of this movie. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Harry's. I've been using Harry's products to shave my face for over a year now, and I can't think of going back to anything else. It's time for you to join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Harry's founders were just two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 a blade. If you don't love your shave, you can let them know and they'll send you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering shave gel that will keep you smelling great and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of Big Screen Sports can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support Big Screen Sports. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by shipstation.com. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, everyone needs a side hustle. ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get out orders quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. Right now, big screen sports listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE, as in Blue Wire Podcast. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. All right, let's get back into what was the most authentic and least authentic sports-centric parts for you. For you, what was the most? What what felt the most, or just the thing you liked the most about this movie? Uh, like so, there there are actually some kind of interesting, like real things that they kind of wove into it. Um, so, like in the beginning of the movie, um, Martel, they, Martel says his contract is five million dollars a year, and then he wants a bigger contract. And then they go a little bit later, and they say that Mc, Jimmy McGinty, Gene Hackman's character, they say that Gene Hackman's character got fired from a job in Dallas because he went head to head with an $8 million QB and lost the, you know, the, the battle of wits or what have you. And so I looked it up and the actual highest uh, NFL salary in 2000 was $8 million. It was Drew Bledsoe. Um, so it like, it's, it's plausible that, you know, a coach in 2000 would have gone up against an $8 million quarterback and lost the battle, frankly. Um, it's, it's also very plausible that McGinty would come, you know, out of retirement because the owner allowed him to have total personnel control. Like, I just thought that that was an interesting, like he said, I want to pick my team or whatever. Like, yeah, like he gets total personnel control. There's only a like lot John Gruden. Coaches. Yeah, exactly. A la John Gruden or, or Belichick. Like there, there's only like five, I think pro coaches that have total personnel control and maybe less than that. Um, I know there's only like three or four in the NBA. So yeah, like that's a say. Um, 
but yeah, those, those are kind of like my favorite parts of it. Um, I think it's a little funny, um, how, you know, they say Ohio state like lost by 40 points in a bowl game, like 96 Ohio state probably wouldn't have done that. But you know, when you go back and look at it now in 2019, Ohio state has obviously had, uh, its fair share of embarrassing bowl losses, um, in the early to, to mid two thousands. Um, and also like we will probably get to this a little bit later on kind of what age poorly, but like, uh, with the cheerleaders. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting with the cheerleaders is she says, we only make $50 a day. So she like has to, to bartend or whatever on the side. She's That's like, aged really well. That, yeah. That aged, you know, unfortunately that aged really well, <laughs> given what we know about the Raiders cheerleader situation and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, there are, there are some kernels in here um, that did aim, age pretty well. Mm-hmm. I loved the Madden and Summerall combo and the 90s NFL feel. It got me. I'm You're a little younger than I am, but it still it reminded me of watching like late 90s, early 2000s NFL games playing Madden. Those guys are, un- especially Pat Summerall's voice, that, that combo is unbeatable. It's not the best announcing combo in the world, but as far as the nostalgia of hearing them announce games, I, I just can't get over it. I love it every time I watch this movie. Yeah, I, that was really cool. And like, there's one scene where I actually love how they edited it, but it's the ending of the third game. Um, where I guess Falco, like, you know, he, there's a the weird kind of wild, crazy fumble. And like, they do the like John Madden illustration, like John Madden, like illustrates the play as if he's doing the replay. And then they kind of like intersperse the actual scene with like John Madden's illustration on like a blank screen. Like I, I thought it was just like a really like clever editing. I thought it was really cool. Cause like, obviously Madden's like famous for the illustrator and that kind of stuff and the boom and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love, I love when that comes on screen. Um, I mean, and they didn't, they didn't film it with the intent of, oh, this is really nostalgic. I mean, it was super authentic at that time, but it's just aged really well too. Um, which, which is why, I mean, this movie came out almost 20 years ago and it's still a really fun watch. Uh, you, it's, it, it's hard to tell that it's aged that, that much really, honestly, like 20 years. Yeah. It's also um, longer than you think. I like, I didn't realize it was a full two hours, but it never yeah. dragged. Like it moves. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There's the only, the only lulls you could say are the, uh, Keanu and, and Annabelle, uh, but you, yeah. you got to have the yeah. love. You got to have the love story. That sh- that was gotcha. like a requirement in the movies. Um, as far as the least authentic, do you want to get in the concept of how if this movie was made today, the whole greedy players, chivalrous white owner would be completely flipped? I mean, we just yeah, you know good. we just saw a guy, a guy retire this past weekend or you know two weeks ago when when this drops, um, kind of putting, you know. That's basically we've been talking about it. Essentially, the the concept of players, you know, choosing themselves and, and really sacrificing a lot to play this game and being deserves to be uh, compensated as such. Whereas this movie really villainizes those guys. Yeah, it's that like it like it. They go you know multiple times almost out of their way to kind of villainize the players who want like a higher wage and like it. I don't know. It it it, it is very weird seeing it you know, with contemporary eyes, um, kind of watching that happen. Also, you know, I have my own qualms personally. I don't feel like the players union was very strong at the time. 
you got players crossing the picket line all over the place. Come on. Yeah, that that was a that was another like Martell randomly crosses over the Dallas team randomly crosses over. It wasn't really yeah. in unison at all. Yeah, Annabelle says that. Yeah, Annabelle says that like some linebacker had crossed over on an opposing team, like all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, there was you know there's a little bit of union intimidation against the Scabs, which I guess may have been true in the '80s, but you know honestly would not fly now. I am a proud member of the Writers Guild of America East. So, you know, I, you know, we don't play that. Um, but uh, the other thing is, and like this, this goes without saying, like the, the cheerleading thing that the, or the cheerleaders thing was just like, come on. It's like, okay, they got a bunch of strippers and they like do a strip tease on the sideline. Like I get it's a comedy. I get it's the farce and all that kind of stuff, but like, come on. But then on like the other hand, they like flip side that with, you know, they give Annabelle the cliche kind of love interest in the quarterback, but then like she kind of has her own thing. Like she's a little progressive. She, you know, she's her own business owner of the bar. Like she gives Shane like football advice. So they do Riverside it a little bit, but yeah, I, I could, I could have done without the, you know, the, the, they're going to get a bunch of strippers to be like replacement cheerleaders. They get it's a joke, but come on. Yeah. My 10 year old self would kick my, my present day self for saying this, but I absolutely could have done without the whole cheerleaders, the dumb cheerleaders thing doing sexy dances on the sidelines. I think it actually is one of the few things that took away from the football action in the movie. I would have rather than just gone a different direction, really. Yeah, but the, you know, that's that's one of those things where you're like, oh, late nineties was like American Pie and you know, road trip and all that stuff. And you're like, okay, like it it it, it is not a good thing, but like I understand that like movies at that time and not movies at that time movies now but in that time period like yeah whatever you were doing that kind of that kind of dumb like low uh low level like sophomore humor um there's also a like there's also a it's 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 one of those things where you kind of have to play it the right way and i think they almost kind of did almost but it's it's where they have the they have nigel they have the two brothers who are the guards and then the sumo wrestler um tackle off of the tackle um and they like are sh- they're like making like racial jokes about each other like sitting at the table and it's this like kind of funny like you know all colors are kind of just cracking on each other as kind of guys do when they're sitting and talking around a bunch of bu- a bunch of bull like i just thought it was kind of funny how they played that scene um you know the jokes are the jokes but like it's interesting how they they did that scene and then they juxtaposed that to obviously we talked about the, the character who uh, who was like getting out of prison, but they have the other character who um, is actually John Favreau and he's like a former cop and they actually have the, the guy who's just out of prison and the former cop like eating lunch together at the time. And then Orlando Brown like comes over and like does the, the joke bit or whatever. But like, it's funny because they're both linebackers and like, you know, they're like sharing a meal together and like, even John Favreau's character even goes like, I'm a cop. And like, so it's funny in the movie that is, you know, sophomoric at some points is actually like kind of progressive a little bit and like a little kind of ahead of its time. Sometimes it, it, it's just kind of funny how it works. It touches on how much of a melting pot that locker rooms are because yeah, it yeah. does bring in people from all different races and spectrums and and puts them together. I do want to talk about Favreau's character uh, in a little bit, um, but let's get into what worked, what was authentic, what what you enjoyed about the movie, just general things. There's a lot from this movie, but I have a question. 
I'm not saying for sure this couldn't have worked, but like, does Shane Falco make it to the stadium by the end of halftime? Because he <laughs> sees the end of the second quarter because he sees McGinty coming off the field and being said the team needs heart. He he lives seemingly close to the stadium. He can see it from his boathouse. I just I don't buy it. I, I don't think I buy that he makes it to the stadium by then. Yeah, he was he so he would have had to so NFL court NFL halftime was twelve minutes. So he would have had to made it to the stadium, gotten in through security, get now obviously this is a pre nine eleven world, so security's probably a little bit different. But had to get into the locker room, had to have that speech, and then also have to dress out and, you know, probably get a little loose. You know, he'd been off the off the schneid a little bit, probably had to get loose, you know, do a warm up, all that kind of stuff. But no, he like comes right back in it and, he, and he's ready to go. And he's um, parking also, at least a mile from the stadium. Exactly. 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 And given the fact that they're down 17, nothing, you probably have to figure that some people are leaving. So, you know, that there's some probably some traffic to deal with all that kind of stuff. There's also, there's another scene with Falco where it's, it's the end of the first game. It's how they lose the first game. And they say that he like checks to a run in the red zone. It, it's like roughly the like 20 yard line. And like McGinty called a pass. And then they, um, and then Falco like checks to a run and they lose and coming off the field, he says, Oh, I saw the blitz. He's like, I read blitz, but I'm like, if you read blitz, you would have hot routed probably Clifford Franklin to run like a quick slant and you would have thrown it bang right there. And he was scored because you throw it where the def- where the blitz is coming from. So yeah, I was a little miffed by that, um, by that Shane Falco as well. And also the, like, I get that you kind of have to change the tenor of it. Like someone's got to be an adult, but I feel like Gene Hackman was doing his like best Hoosiers impression, like in the midst of this kind of like farcical movie. And it was, it was just kind of interesting how that played off of kind of the rest of the tone of the movie. It really was. Yeah. It's like they brought in Norman Dale from Hoosiers and, and planted him right into the replacements. Let's talk about Falco Keanu. This movie hinges on Keanu really. If he's not believable, if he doesn't work, this movie doesn't work. I don't think it's nearly as good. He gave me Steve Young vibes on the field, and you kind of buy him as a leader. Man, you buy that this team rallied around him. What do you think of Keanu as as a quarterback? I think you, yeah, I think you buy it. Um, I I don't think Keanu's footwork was particularly good, um, but I think that you buy him as I, I think that you buy him as a leader of men because he is judicious about where he kind of inserts his like leadership and he does it in a way that would appeal to the rest of the team. And it's, he is very much an everyman where Martell, they juxtapose him against Martell because Martell is like very much like pretty boy, like tall, blonde hair, you know, a lot of money. like, I'm the guy, that kind of stuff, swaggering guy. And, and they don't give any of the other uh, any of the other actual players, the non-replacement players, like they don't get a role. Like Martel very much speaks for the, the actual player, salary players. Whereas obviously there are so many colorful characters on the actual team. Um, and I think Keanu's like, you know, performance and Keanu's kind of like screen presence is, you know, we talked about how it can be a little, you know, robotic. It can be a little bit um, monotone, I guess is probably the word, but like, because you have all these other kind of 
you know, personalities and, and, and all that kind of stuff on screen that kind of, you know, uh, are mercurial and, and kind of elevate the whole thing to make it funny. Like him kind of being that kind of bellwether, kind of chill, calm, cool, collected guy. Like, yeah, I, I think it, it really does work. Well, and they surround him with a great cast, which is another reason why this movie works really well, is really fun, is you've got Keanu as that, you know, leader of men, but you surround him with uh, Rise Ifans, who plays the kicker, Favreau, Faze on Love, uh, David Denman, Orlando Jones, um, and then the guy who plays Martell, like you said, is a great contrast, and he plays kind of a great dickhead. Uh, he's in the, I don't remember, he's in The Dark Knight, or The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, he's yeah, the, uh, yeah. Yeah, he, his character has a redemption at the end of the movie when he leads that ill-fated charge against Bane. Uh, spoiler alert, but he's also, he, he's an asshole. Um, and in this movie, he's the perfect anti-Falco, like you said, but they, they do a really good job of surrounding Keanu Reeves with a lot of good characters who can carry the load. It's and and that's like the I mean, that that's the main thing I think that makes this movie work really well is how many fun characters there are. A couple weeks ago, I covered Rookie of the Year, uh, with, you know, baseball movie, children's movie. But one of the things that that movie really fails at is there is almost no one you can get behind besides the main character, Henry, and then Gary Busey's character. And other than that, you don't know anyone on the team. Versus here on the replacements, you have bought in and invested in all these guys and their success and their stories, and you want them to succeed. And that that's why this movie is is really good. I also like Falco's backstory of the QB who took you know a bunch of shots, was pressed into duty too fast. Kind of was like a like a David Carr parallel almost. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. he got murdered while he was on the Texans. Um, so I you know I like that being the reason that he failed as opposed to oh he's just you know some bust. Or you know, it didn't work out for him. I I, I like that they they gave him that that kind of thing. Um, line that two lines that that I think stick out uh, that I really like a kind of classic sports movie line is, is one from Hackman playing the serious guy. The winners always want the ball with the game on the line, and you have that kind of come around at the end. And then pain heals, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. I know you're tired, I know you're hurting, and I wish I could say something that was classy and inspirational, but that just wouldn't be our style. Pain heals, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. Right on, right on, right on. Shotgun, DC right, flip 90, dig, on the center, on the center, ready? That, like, the, I will say that, like, it was cool. Like I, it's it's cool. It's a cool line. It's a cool little thing. Like it, it, it's it's the character's personality to give that kind of like inspirational speech or whatever in the huddle before the final play. Like you know, you have to have that moment as a sports movie. Like, but yeah, they they did it the way that that Shane Falco would do it. Well, that's my only problem with the line is you'd think it does not actually come before the final play. It comes, oh, it comes, when it comes before the, the game, second touchdown. Yeah, it comes in the game before the second touchdown, which when I was doing my rewatch and he starts saying that, I was like, wait, is it already the final play? And then I realized that line, I feel like, needs to be before the final play if you're doing the almost, complete cliche sports movie thing. I actually didn't realize it wasn't. I, okay, I actually like it more that it's not the before the final play. I actually thought it was, and I watched, watched the movie last night. I forgot. Um, yeah, I actually like that it's, that it's not, before the final play i like that it's like 
as he's coming in to kind of say like, Hey, we're setting the tone for the second half here. Like I'm back. Like, let's do this. Um, I like yeah. I like what he said before the final play. I really like that one too. When he says the thing about it's been a pleasure to serve on the field of battle with you or whatever, it's kind of I, I I like that. I mean, it's it's corny, but it you know we'll talk about big chill moments down the road here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I enjoy that one too. Again, I buy Shane Falco's leader of men. Yeah, I more than anything, like I buy that he could lead. I buy that this that this group of guys would rally around this type of guy. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you enjoyed or what worked for this movie for you before we get into some stuff that didn't quite add up? Yeah, I like I so it's kind of funny that they did it, but I have always kind of wondered if a sumo wrestler would work in American football, like on the interior of an offensive line. Like I know they put him at tackle and he he was actually right. The the other thing they did nice here is he was a right tackle. So he was actually Keanu Reeves blind side because Keanu Reeves is left-handed. That's a nice um, touch. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so he'd be Keanu Reeves' le- uh, right uh, blind side. Um, so yeah, I like. I have always kind of wondered like if some wrestlers would like do well in American football, and like it, it was funny that they like that they played on that and and did that. I have a question for you. Uh, the Cochran storyline, who David Dedman plays, he's the the deaf tight end who McGinty says he could have been a first-round pick, but he's deaf. Do you think he kind of struck me as like a deaf Heath Miller? Do you think if a guy was deaf but had all the tools of a first-round tight end, I feel like he'd still be drafted? I, I, I do too. So first of all, also, Gallaudet shout-out. He says that he that the deaf tight end played at Gallaudet. Um, McGinty says that, which is interesting. Gallaudet is a deaf school um, in literally in Washington, D.C. So that is also plausible and also works. But yeah, I, I was thinking about that last night too. I was like, if if you were, I feel like it would work. It could work if you were a receiver. I think it would work even better if you were a DB potentially. Because I mean, frankly, all you'd have to do is signal in. Like you just have to signal in the, the, the play and then you he, they could read it off a wristband or whatever. Um, now I... I don't know how they actually they kind of glossed over the fact that they wouldn't be able to that he wouldn't be able to know the play because they didn't signal a lot on offense during the movie but we'll get to what didn't work in a second but yeah i think it'll work like all you'd have to do is signal it in and he, he would know the signs and he would look at his thing and, and you know he doesn't have to hear or whatever for for that to work yeah i think he'd definitely get drafted let's get into what didn't work though for you what stuck you know what stood out as stuff that eh, didn't really line up or wasn't something you particularly enjoyed as much uh they're in the in the car scene where they're dry annabelle and shane falco are driving and oh, she's hell says, on wheels yeah but annabelle says that the right the linebacker on falco's right would be a player to pick on and that falco should scramble because that guy can't, uh, that guy was hung over or something like that because his girlfriend just broke up with him. Um, so I was like, okay, but you can't, if, if Falco is going to reverse out and scramble to his right every time, that means he's got to reset his body to throw the ball, to throw a deliverable ball, or he's throwing like a cross body and it's pretty bad. Um, because, you know, they call him footsteps Falco, but, you know, Fal- Falco's not exactly juking a lot of guys, even though he does juke for that last touchdown at the end. Um, so yeah, I was a little, that was a little off. Um, 
I completely missed that because I was just thinking about how Annabelle needs to have her license revoked and needed it revoked yesterday. <laughs> that is very true. Um, the I guess this this kind of works, but the the the, the betting sharks, um, like it, this is the thing that didn't work. The betting sharks come and like Nigel is like, I have the money, but I like pissed it all down the track, and like they're gonna take my bar from me. And I was like, so, but he didn't explain, like, if he would have explained that, like, they bet on me to, like, miss this kick and, like, I don't want to be in that situation, like, it would have worked. I think they kind of implied it, kind of. But like, yeah, that it, was another thing. I was always, before I did my rewatch, I was always under the assumption that there was some something that had lined up to where he can't make this kick, but they just basically, they leave that up to you. They leave that up to your interpretation. Yeah, I, they don't really explain it. And I wonder if that has something to do with just like sports betting in general or like maybe the NFL had something to say. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I, like I just thought it was really funny um, that they like don't really explain that too, too well. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else kind of really stands out. Did you notice on the onside kick scene that Shane was playing special teams? No, I didn't. He was on the kickoff team when they did the onside kick. Not great. I did not notice that. That's not what you're looking for. You're not looking to put your only quarterback because it appears they did not have a backup. It was Shane or Martell crossing uh, on special teams for an onside kick. Yeah, because he was doing all the holding. So he was doing all the the holding on the field goal and the extra points or whatever. So yeah, they they did not have a backup quarterback. Favreau's character. Personally, I don't think he ate. I mean, it's like if Vontae's Burfitt was an ex-cop. I mean, just an absolute psycho. I get that it was funny. But, uh, I mean, it was almost like too crazy. It's like, this guy has legitimately something wrong with him. I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little weirder viewing it through contemporary eyes. Because you know that, like, Favreau can play, like, very, like, sentimental characters. Um, like, like his character in Chef. Um, like, that's a very, like, sentimental character. Um, and you also know that, like, he can play kind of like a funny kind of like more like laughable kind of you know, kind of big guy type thing. Um, it, I, it, it's just really strange to see him as this like aggro, like roided out guy. Like I, I, I get it given the context of the movie and I like that he's the only like aggro guy. Um, but I think viewing it contemporarily is, is interesting. Kind of mm, he's four years he, I think he's four years off swingers at this point when he when this movie comes out and those characters are so different I have, I've never seen swingers that. versus oh got it I mean so swing I mean swingers is a little almost before my I mean I think it was five when I came out so you're you're even younger but swingers is is all time but his character is so different I mean I like that they had this guy who seemingly calm but when the you know the action turns on he's He's a little crazy. I just, I, I don't know how well it ages into this, uh, you know, like you said, with contemporary eyes. But, um, you know, if, if a guy had hit the quarterback twice, too, that at some point you got to be like, dude, you, you got to chill. Like, you've got something legitimately wrong with you if you can't not hit this guy. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the play where, uh, Shane does the kind of the remember the Titans thing, you know, let him through when he's talking about Hank Morris, that all pro keeps oh, sacking that him. Was, 
Yeah, I thought that was funny. I just thought it was funny. Like, just, like let him through. I um, I, I think I remembered it differently. I thought he threw it as nuts. That's I what I thought nuts. too. That's what I. As soon as he cocked back, I was like, he's gonna do the thing from longest yard where he throws the ball and he hits him in the nuts. And like hitting off the helmet, I don't know how like terribly effective that is. Like, uh, you know, um, Cochran then crushes him after, which helps. But throwing it off the helmet's like, uh, you just, you know, they scored off of it, but it's more than likely an interception. I thought he was going to hit him in the nuts. I kind of would have preferred to have seen that. Yeah, I think that when they bring Cochran in to kind of like level him, like lay him out, like that's the, the kind of double whammy. Like the helmet thing stuns him and then they like knock him out. I would imagine they probably they probably were like, oh, we can't actually do the longest yard thing. Maybe I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The only crazy, unrealistic thing that really felt like almost out of so ridiculous it was out of place is when the first first uh, play out of halftime in the last game when they do the unnecessary roughness thing, but it's just like guys just le- legitimately being violent and trying to injure the <laughs> Dallas like, players. It's like, it's like five guys like going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that didn't quite, the movie, like you said, is kind of silly. It It's not a completely, you know, dead, bloody, serious football movie, but that took it a little too far. It, it was a little too ridiculous. Yeah. Did you have anything else that, that didn't work for you? Uh, that didn't work off the top of my head. Not really. Uh, no, not off. The, oh, okay, yeah. So I did mention this earlier, but the yeah, how they Gene Hackman is kind of his like Hoosiers kind of persona. Um, I like I don't know. It, it, I they they balance it out with the dance scene at the end. But, like, McGinty does, like, a private monologue kind of type thing. Gene Hackman does a private monologue where he, like, is like, oh, the replacement players were heroes and, like, da-da-da-da-da, classic sports move stuff. But then it does yeah, go the voiceover. When the replacement players for the Washington Sentinels left the stadium that day, there was no ticker tape parade, no endorsement deals for sneakers or soda pop or breakfast cereal, just a locker to be cleaned out and a ride home to catch. But what they didn't know was that their lives would be changed forever. You too, Shane. Because they had been part of something great. And greatness, no matter how brief, stays with a man. Every athlete dreams of a second chance. These men lived it. Yeah, it does do the goofy, like, uh, you know, electric slide again in the end zone with the music dubbed over it so they balanced it out with the silly but i was like yeah whatever yeah i i agree um he he's almost out of place but it works for best on-screen athlete i feel like right off the bat everyone looked good in uniform like looked like an athlete yeah, everyone looked good. Um, yeah, there's there's Keanu, there's David Denman who looked like he could have been a tight end. Uh, Walter Cochran who played Troy Wimbush who was the running back who just wanted just one touchdown. Uh, there was the recently incarcerated Michael Jace as uh, as Wilkerson, aka Ray Smith. I thought I thought it it was hard to pick one best athlete, one worst athlete for this one. Yeah, I did too. I think everybody was like right around the same like. You know, we talked about Ace Yanamini, or I think is the guy's name, who was the sumo wrestler. Um, I actually Googled it, and he was a sumo wrestler for, like, a cup of coffee. Like, wasn't, didn't, it didn't work out, but, like, he did train sumo training um, to be a sumo wrestler. I, I think he's actually from Hawaii. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so I, I would probably go with Ray Wilson as best athlete. Like, I don't know. He, they put him in, I, like, yes, it's kind of weird that your linebacker would be a punt returner, but there's a scene where he returns a punt too. And mm-hmm. he's on offense. So like, he's yeah. you know, kind of your, your triple threat there. Yeah, question about Ray Smith, a.k.a. Earl Wilkerson, the guy who got out of jail. It seems very strange that the governor would risk the political blowback of letting a guy out on leave, on work release, to play for an NFL team at risk of him being found out. And then there's that blowback of, hey, you let a guy who's incarcerated for assaulting a police officer play in the NFL. Like, what's what's the deal? I thought that was a little strange that he would let the guy out. Yeah, to be a Gab football player, yes. Yeah, and I feel like Ray Smith would have gotten figured out eventually. Some per, I mean, because uh, Franklin Orlando Jones's character figures him out. You know, says, "Oh, you're you're Earl Wilkerson, man. I knew. You know, I saw you. I knew it. I feel like someone else would have too. I mean, he had yeah, that. He had the visor on, but I, I still think that that someone uh, flushes him out. The Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character." is a tough pick for this movie because I think everyone besides Keanu and Gene Hackman are, you know, are on the table. There's a lot of good ones in this movie. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think it's probably Orlando Brown. Like, I just think it's, it's funny. Like, I think he's a funny receiver type of guy. I'd probably go with him. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wrote down like Madden and Summerall, uh, the song I, the song I Will Survive as a supporting character. Great work by I Will Survive. Um, even uh, Brett Cullen as Eddie Martell. Uh, he yes, was a great yeah. villain for this movie. He had the weird thing talking, kind of brings up the cheerleader thing with Keanu, like she deserves better from you. And then you see him staring at her in the game. So you kind of think that he has this like weird undying crush for her, but they never really hash that out. I'm wondering if there's a deleted scene out there. Like they were dating. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, the big chill, which every good sports movement, you know, movie has a big chill moment where hair on the back of your neck stands up. You know, it's a thing the movie builds for. I've got three nominees. Uh, when Shane goes to the bar and lets the guys know Martel crossed, that's not really a big chill moment, but it was a really emotional moment. Shane letting those guys know that you know he's not the quarterback anymore. They do the toast for him. Um, Shane showing up at halftime and when he runs out, like leaves the locker room and everyone, you know, the crowd sees him and Madden and Summerall commenting on it. And then uh, the final play, the final touchdown. I actually, I actually want to take this in a different direction. I, I okay, think hit me with my, it. my favorite scene was the scene where they're all sitting in a team meeting and they talk about fear. And oh, like, that's it, a good one. And it's funny because, you know, they, yeah, Clifford, I think Clifford talked about like spiders or something like spiders. Stupid. Man, yeah, I'm scared and, of spiders. Yeah. And then they like come back and Shane, like, you know, we talk about moments in this movie that are like surprisingly kind of progressive for the time in a sports movie. And like, that's one of them where like they would kind of sit and just like literally talk about their feelings. Huh? Come on. Quicksand. Oh shit shit. Hey, quicksand's a scary mother, man. I mean, first of all, they suck you right in, and even if you scream, uh, you get all that muck in your mouth. I don't think that's what Shane had in mind, Frank. Huh? That's not what he had in mind. What are you talking about, Dan Coach? Well, why don't you ask him? Hey, what's up, Shane? You're playing. And you think everything is going fine. But then one thing goes wrong. And then another. 
and another. And you try to fight back, but the harder you fight, the deeper you sink. Until you can't move. You can't breathe. Because you're in over your head. Like quicksand. And like, you know, the quarterback would give a very, like, that, that is a very measured kind of leadership performance where he's talking about like, yeah, like this is what really scares me. Like he's afraid of like failing. He's afraid of like when, when something bad starts to happen, like, you know, he can't fix it. And obviously all of them, you know, have been getting their second chance as athletes. Like, you know, they, they are all, they all know that, you know, when things go bad, you know, they, they kind of can't fix it athletically or in life. And so like, I thought it was very interesting. And then they kind of go kind of shotgun, like the things that they're like, and like, you know, one of the guys says, you know, the auto plant and like, they do a couple ones and then like Ray Wilson just goes like prison. And like the season that, you know, it, it's not, it, it's not meant to be funny. And like, it, you know, it doesn't play funnily. It, it, it plays as it's just like, thug. like all of these guys are like getting their second chance. And like, you know, maybe they have to go back to work or they have to go to the store or whatever. And like, this guy's going to jail. You know what I mean? And obviously it then I guess actually happened, which is wild, but like, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's like an emotional hook to the movie. And I think you're right. I think that's a really good one. I still, I get the chills when Shane runs out at halftime. Cause you can kind of see him for a second, take it in, uh, you know, kind of look out, take it in, uh, you know, the whole crowd and everything puts his helmet on. I actually, he doesn't put his helmet on. I think he runs out without his helmet, shows off the Keanu flow. But, uh, you know, every good movie has a couple scenes like that. Every good sports movie, I think. And, you know, this one does a good job of that. What happens to the Sentinels and Shane Falco after this movie, do you think? So I was interested in that because he, like, basically, so they make the playoffs with the win. And then the scab play or the, uh, the, the real players, the real players come back, right? Yeah, so, that's my assumption. So I think, I think that they lose in the first round of playoffs. Because first and foremost, like I think that they say at one point in the movie that they haven't made the playoffs in seven years, right? So if they're, let's say they're, now I know the season's a little bit different because I think they say that the season, that the season ending game is Thanksgiving night. So I, I guess we can infer that let's, let's say it's a 12 game season, right? Um, in this, this fictional league, strike short year, whatever. So 12 game season. So if they have to win three games to make the playoffs, I think they probably have to go like eight and four in this 12 game I think game that's a safe bet. To make the playoffs. Let's, let's call it eight and four in this league to make the playoffs. Um, so at the time the strike started, they were four and four. So they were an average football team, right? Like they were average. Yeah. So uh, like I would imagine that they get bounced out of the playoffs in the first round. Yeah, and I mean Martell's clearly not. So I, I'm guessing Martell, because Martell when he does his locker room freak out says he's got two Super Bowl rings. I'm guessing those happened earlier in his career with another team. Exactly. So Martell's I older. Worked, I worked backwards in that same way. I was like, Oh well, they haven't made a playoff in seven years. Why is he even playing? And then I was like, Oh, it's it's probably from a different team. Yeah, he's he's already he's got a big free agent contract or something. 
Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think Martell has won the Super Bowl in Washington. He doesn't seem nearly as as beloved in Washington as as a Super Bowl winning quarterback would be. Um, I think post the replacements, I bet Shane can roll this into like a gig on a Fox College Football Morning Show or something. Oh yeah, Shane. Like Shane would be Shane would be very important after this. If Shane kind of came and saved the day like this, a lot of people would would love Shane. Absolutely. Would this movie make a good thirty for thirty? Would, the, would this story make a good 30 for 30 had it been real? Yes, because I would like to have gotten the actual, you know, the actual labor negotiations. And, and you know, how did the owner get Martell across the picket line? Um, you know, he called him a bitchy millionaire at one point in time. Like, how, how did he get him to cross the picket line the night before Thanksgiving, the night before the biggest game of the season to make the playoffs? Like, how how did some of those things go around? Um you know, what was, what was Jimmy McGinty, frankly, what was Jimmy McGinty doing? Um, you know, after he, he won in Washington in the past, you know, the owner fired him and then he went to Dallas. He had, a, he had it out with that quarterback. Like, what was Jimmy McGinty doing? Like a, a, a classic, you know, a, a good coach that had fallen off the hard times. How did his career kind of progress? So, yeah, I think it worked. You'd get some more insight on Falco's pro career, too, uh, which I would like to see. Uh, I would just love more Falco content, really. I'm I'm very in on the character of Shane Falco. I think he's a top five Keanu character. Yeah, big Falco fan, yeah. How would you improve this movie if you were remaking it in 2019? I would, you know, I, I think that we would definitely redo some of the labor negotiation stuff. Um, yes. But then again, it's, if you know, the crux of the movie is, that's, that's the conceit of the movie. The conceit of the movie is the labor negotiation stuff. I don't know how you tweak this movie without going into it, it's a very late nineties thing because obviously the baseball strike had been fairly fresh in people's minds a few years earlier. So this like notion of a league striking and player and replacement players coming in, like there was an NBA lockout, I think in like 96 or something. So like th- this, this labor strike between athletes and ownership is very fresh in the brain um, in a way that it's not even now. And especially because I feel like people tend to side with ownership a little bit less now than they did 20 years ago, a little bit less, but a little bit less than they did 20 years ago. Like, I don't know. I don't know how this movie plays in, in, in this, in this day and age if it comes out now. Yeah, really, you know, recently it was the 25th anniversary of the MLB strike and there were a lot of good pieces written about it. And a lot of them touched on, the animosity towards the players. And you see that, you know, this movie comes out six years later, you see that still spilling out uh, in, you know, how the players are talked to, how Martell and them are referred to. They, they show Martell and that other guy in the locker room. Martell's, you know, say, do you know how much a Ferrari costs? A guy says, or Martell, Martell says he's got child support. Another guy says how much a Ferrari costs. Hackman makes this crack about they flew all of their castles in private jets. Whereas now they'd be, you know, 20 years later, Martell, you know, is probably suffering from, from some lifelong pain, I'm guessing, uh, just, you know, playing in the NFL for 10 plus years. So it, it, it would be a whole different thing. I'm not exactly sure, like you said, how they do it. Um, that, that, that's really the whole crux of the movie, because I think you could remake this movie and it'd be really good. If, even if you, you know, you don't change much at all, maybe you uh, ease off the, uh, the cheerleader subplot. But you'd have to figure out how to work around that new owner-player dynamic. The owner would have to be seen as a lot greedier than this guy was. 
Yeah, they would. It would have to be almost like uh, like major league. It would have to be like the major league owner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the owner would have to be the villain, and I don't know if you'd make a guy. I mean, you could also do a weird version of this movie where Martell or the incumbent quarterback is more like a a sympathetic figure, a guy who you know he's played hypothetically he's played through a lacerated kidney and a shoulder injury and you know stuff like that basically he's like an andrew luck and he's kind of a sympathetic figure of like i want to be i need to be compensated for how i've played i mean andrew luck obviously had a big deal it's a different situation but he's a guy like that he's a guy who's played through a lot of injuries you know and he he loves football but the whole union's sitting out so he's sitting out Maybe he's buddies with Shane Falco, who comes in to be the scab. There's a weird dynamic there. I don't know. It's it's something that they'd have to change up if they wanted to remake this movie. Yeah. But the one we got is pretty good. Um, I love this one. It's a Hall of Fame for you. It's an all-star for me. It's a really good movie. Richard, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about this one. Where can the people follow you on social media? The people can find me on Twitter at RJ underscore right. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll find... Everything that I write there, you'll find my musings on God knows what. Depends on the day, depends on the hour, depends on the mood. Um, so follow me on Twitter if you dare. Well, he's a good follow. Make sure you sign up for the Banner Society newsletter. Again, I will we'll link all of Richard's information in the show notes. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, you're not yet subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at big underscore screen sport. Instagram at Big Screen Sports Pod. Uh, check for episodes every Thursday. And make sure you go to BlueWirePods.com. Check out the other selection of podcasts we have in the Blue Wire Network. And we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.